So Steph, what is the worst Asian stereotype that you hear? Worst? Oh my gosh, there are a few. Bad driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so when you pass a scene of a car accident in your car oh, and you look over... I know what you're going to say. And no Asian people involved, how oh, does that make you feel? breath of fresh air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sigh of relief. <laughs> Especially if it's like in like Markham or Scarborough. Oh my gosh, I know. No Asians involved. Yeah, yep, you're like, thank God. Good oh, going, yeah. guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. otherwise, you feel that responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh. That burden. stereotype <laughs> is true. Like, damn. <laughs> Yeah, oh. for sure. <laughs> Are you good at math? No. <laughs> was it hard to live up to that expectation? Um, not really, because my mom was a math teacher, so she helped me a lot with my math homework. <laughs> you mean she did your math homework? Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Oh, no, I sucked at math. Yeah. I was, I was bad. You know, I would love, I mean, I would still love to be good at math, though, because... I, like, am intrigued by math, but it kind of makes my brain hurt at the same time. (laughs) I think I'll probably never repeat this again, but I believe I failed grade 10 math three times. (laughs) Was that, I I, I feel you because I, that was hard, grade 10 math was hard. Was that advanced functions or was, see, I can't even remember, like, the topic names. Like, that's how much I don't don't do math. I don't remember a lot of high school, school work, to be honest. I remember grade 10 math was painful. Yeah. To my credit, grade 12 math, when I actually applied myself, I got a very, very high mark. I believe it was in the 90s, but uh, just Was saying. that for calculus? I don't know. Don't ask me. It was a long time ago, but I applied myself, <laughs> finally. You know, all those elementary school teachers were right. If I apply myself, I could get good <laughs> grades. Oh, you were one of those kids. So, for one semester, I have applied myself and proven that I could get good grades if I do. You have that 90 to back you up. Yeah, but I just have not applied myself very much since. So I wonder if there are good Asian stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> cricket, cricket. That's what the yeah, crickets yeah. are. <laughs> You're now tuned into Red Dot Project. I'm Phil. And today we do not have Haley with us, but you have a familiar voice coming at you today. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey, Stephanie. Hi. Thank you for coming on board. Um, Haley had to go away for a bit, so <laughs> nothing I'm bad. I'm her replacement yeah. for tonight. <laughs> yes, so Steph is coming in to talk to us about our topic for the day. But let's go back a second. This is Red Dot Project, a podcast about anything from menstruation to homelessness to gender so- inequality, gender inequality, <laughs> social justice issues, social homelessness. homelessness. I think I said that, but um, um, also social justice. Oh, I said that too, um, <laughs> and a lot more things. Like in this episode, we are discussing representation in Hollywood, in particular that of Asian minorities. So if you haven't heard of the commercial or you haven't seen the movie yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, (laughs) but there is a movie called Crazy Rich Asians that has come out this past week. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I actually, I have. I went to go see it. And yeah, there's definitely been a lot of hype surrounding it, that's for sure. I think it's definitely caused quite a buzz as of lately. For sure. And if you've seen any of the interviews that the cast has given, you hear them talk a lot about representation in film. For sure. I think that is only increasing in terms of like conversation with everything. And I think that extends beyond just Asian representation just minorities in general. But I think this is the first time 
we're seeing an all Asian cast in what is it, Phil? Twenty five years? Yeah, it's been about twenty five years. It's and been a while. So this is kind of a huge deal in that way. How old are you again? <laughs> I'm twenty four, so like yeah, it's <laughs> never in your <laughs> my whole lifetime. lifetime. Yeah. So yeah. if you've seen the movie Joy Luck Club, I remember it vaguely because I was younger when that came out. But I do remember it. It was a pretty big deal. And yeah, I know. My parents love that movie, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Most Asians people have uh, fond memories of it. And really, there hasn't been anything really since. And I think the ones that I bet you anyone that you have an example of, it falls heavy on Asian Hollywood stereotype of yeah. what Asians are. So they're either great at martial arts. <laughs> Or like a nerd or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's why this movie, Crazy Rich Asians, have, has been such a big deal for so many people. So today, I guess we'll talk a little bit about that. So yeah, so I guess like we can start by looking at just the history of Asian representation in terms of film in Hollywood in particular. I mean, I can't even think of a whole bunch that... <laughs> jump out in my mind that I, I think that says a lot in and of itself but but I guess like looking back what are some of the main examples we have of um, Asian representation in film I think if you look back like earlier earlier on from the 40s to like the 60s especially I feel like there was a lot of yellow face <laughs> and whitewashing so you, it was just common practice for white actors to be cast in the roles of Asian characters from Dragon Seed in 1944 with Katherine Hepburn to Linda Hunt winning an Oscar in 1982 for her portrayal of Billy Kwan, which is interesting because she's often praised for being like, uh, well, she was the first person to win an Academy Award for portraying like someone of the opposite sex, but I think it's important to realize that that was very much yellow face at the same time. She was portraying an Asian character at the end of the day, with, which is just like wrong on so many levels. <laughs> and then even with like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think that's like a popular one. I mean, especially for someone my age who who doesn't know, like I'm not too familiar with like old older films. I know some people are like, film buffs like that but but yeah I mean I love Breakfast at Tiffany's it's it's um one of my favorite movies but that definitely is always kind of a very cringy portion of that to watch uh Mickey Rooney play the um the Japanese landlord <laughs> Holly Golightly's Japanese landlord is just like it's very painful <laughs> in many ways I mean it's just so offensive all across the board from the way they like taped his eyelids back to give him that like kind of more like slanted eye look just like all the sort of perceived stereotypes of Asians in general just super exaggerated I think for like that um entertainment value I guess is quite demeaning especially in hindsight when you look back uh on these portrayals so yeah for sure and this yellow facing has continued through Hollywood up until very recently yeah um absolutely I think I think it's very noticeable when you notice it but it can flip by quite subtly especially when you're just kind of used to not seeing Asian representation in Hollywood or on screen or in media in general from like even like Emma Stone in uh what was it aloha mm -hmm. and and then recently with like the whole scarlett johansson controversy with her being casted in ghost in the shell and she's not japanese i think and then and then just the fact that you know like you have people going back and forth kind of arguing whether she should or she shouldn't and i think that speaks a lot to where we're at as well in terms of that conversation right Mm -hmm. So, and then when you talk about something like Crazy Rich Asians, it's like, how far have we come? I think in a lot of ways, yeah, we've come a long way, but I think there is still a lot of work that <laughs> needs to be done with that being said. I don't know, what what are your thoughts on this, Phil? Uh, I think it makes sense if the writer of a script or a novel 
writes in a character of a specific background or race that somebody of that race should play it. Uh, if that's yeah. how it's written, then you know we don't we understand blackface is not okay, but yet some reason in yellowface it's still well okay. So I guess we don't see it as much, but like we've seen it in as recently in movies like Cloud Atlas, where there are white people playing Koreans and they you know folded the eyes. So it right. looked weird and <laughs> didn't look natural, but you know, yeah. they've done it and they continue to do it for whatever yeah. reason. And we see there, we're trying to get to this next level of diversity and understanding and acceptance and inclusion where we recognize that, you know, there are certain topics that we don't do or we don't say towards black people, but yet we still tend to joke and make fun of a lot of Asian people and Asian stereotypes still and that seems to be fair ground up until recently where Chris Rock is hosting the Oscars right after there's this huge um, protest about not having enough black people nominated and then Chris Rock comes out and makes jokes about you know Asian kids being accountants and right working you know sweatshops and all those kind of things like that and everyone laughs at that for sure. I think, see, for me, I mean, I think these conversations are very loaded and complex. And But in the general scheme of things, I think, I, I think nothing we're trying to say is trying to deter from Black representation or anything like that. It's not a contest at the end of the day. But I think the reality is that if we're talking specifically Asians in film, we have never really had that strong of a voice. And so it is very easy like you mentioned, Phil, to kind of downplay the, the problem, how problematic that is, especially when you don't have that voice consistently speaking for that representation and, and fighting for that. So it's very easy to brush under the rug in that way. And I think that's kind of what our population faces in terms of finding that ground, right? And as you said, like that joke with being countants, I think, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone ever really associates us with with theater or film or that kind of like artistic ability so to speak because it's just not what we're known for <laughs> quote unquote so and as with anything else I think that has so many detrimental side effects to it I think anytime you take away those possibilities from people individuals don't get to live out their potential or they don't see themselves in those roles or occupying those spaces and yeah that's extremely detrimental because you're wiping out sort of whole populations of talent in that way and people don't really get to feel like they can dream or live out those roles or or do those things which they very much can <laughs> i think that's the upsetting part about that and when we talk about representation we're talking about not only just you know appearing in the background of the film we're talking about being major parts of the story and having significant speaking parts roles i think yeah like i think it's about not not just having roles i think it's about having roles that are a like authentic and and have dimension to them um not just these flat one-dimensional stereotypical portrayals or characters but rather like real individuals like like needy roles and and really like i don't know just something more than what we're so used to seeing and and what's become so conventional yeah for sure like we see and we're able to measure and understand how something like wonder woman how that affects women and young girls specifically a lot of young white girls and how it makes them feel like they can be powerful superheroes and that's great and that's wonderful but we never talk about what it does until recently of how you know a young black boy to see a character like the black panther, black panther yeah. right and then so now we start to understand a little bit and you know we don't get to see that for young asian boys or young asian women or young Asian girls and all different races, we don't talk about it because it's like almost we have to take turns to get to our, <laughs> until when it's our turn, then we can do it. 
But yeah. instead of us just all being able to do that, because like we're all coexisting right now in this, especially in Toronto, but For sure. even in the States, you know, there's diversity yeah. all over the place, but yet TV and film just hasn't caught up to it. And there's been significant efforts to make sure it's a slow and steady process. Because even though when you look at the great grand scheme of things and all the numbers, it hasn't been significant change in diversity in films and television but it feels like it because we just haven't seen it for so long yeah yeah absolutely and I think that speaks to like we've come a long way but how how far have we really come I think we've come a long way in terms of like generating that conversation but I think that also extends well beyond like the film industry and like Hollywood right I think that just kind of like seeped into it to a point where now they're kind of forced into having that conversation Mm -hmm. but in terms of looking at the actual like I wouldn't call myself an expert but I really do enjoy watching a lot of films I do have a lot of actors that really inspire me and that I really love and that I follow and and I think that like I'm pretty well aware of you know the names that are out there and I, I feel like I could easily list, like, all the Asian actors I know, probably, like, on one hand. Maybe two. I'll give it two. <laughs> but I think that, and I think that speaks volumes. I on mean... two com- hands? You, could, you, have, you have ten favorite Asian actors. No. Okay, I, I said I said two hands, but that could be, like, six. But okay. I, I think that's even being generous, <laughs> okay. to be honest. Top three Asian actresses, go. <laughs> okay, now you put me on the spot. Top two. Okay, but... Too mixed actress. <laughs> is that telling? Okay. Um, I really like Maggie Q. I think she's great. I, I mean, Lucy Liu, but like that's classic and everyone knows Lucy mm-hmm. Liu. Um, Kristen mm-hmm. Crook, Lindsay Price. Now I'm like totally drawing a blank. Oh, well, I guess like, I don't know, Daniel Day Kim from Lost was okay. pretty good. And I don't know the actress. I can't remember her name. It's been so long since Lost has been on air, but uh, the actress that played his wife was like, like I really liked her too. I thought she was really, really talented. But um, but yeah, I think I'm just on the spot right now. But I think also there probably aren't like that many more (laughs) out there either. But even still, like even looking at my list, there were so many actresses who weren't fully like Asian and. In ethnicity, added a lot of times they're mixed with like you know they have like European descent in them too or whatever else and um, and I think that's I think that's telling of like the standards we have right in terms of what people want to see. <laughs> so I think it's also like it speaks to like tolerance as well because I mean I guess a lot of a, a few of those names on that list were actresses that that I really loved when I was younger and that pretty much the closest so especially like people like Kristen Crook or like Lindsay Price you know probably like 80% of the people listening don't know who Lindsay Price is probably not so she was okay so the creators of Sex and the City made another show called Lipstick Jungle that was only on air for like a few seasons and then it got canceled but it was a very similar concept so it was like three women um, powerful women working in New York. So Lindsay Price, she played a fashion designer named Victory Ford. And to be honest, looking back, Phil, in like hindsight when I was younger, that was a huge deal for me, her character, because so in in real life, she's, I believe she's half Korean and half German. I think it's half German. Yeah, but she's definitely half Korean. (laughs) That much I know. And so it was a huge deal for me because, like, prior to that, like, the only, like, Asian representation I saw on screen was, like, watching Smallville and watching Kristen Crook on Smallville. And even then, they never acknowledged her Asian heritage. It was always just, like, okay, yeah, like, (laughs) it, it, it just wasn't talked about. And then, obviously, like, her parents, the actors who were cast as her parents were both white and then it was something that was never discussed but also I guess she could kind of pass as well so there's that whole notion of you know passing and and how that plays into it but then seeing Lindsay Price in Lipstick Jungle where they fully like acknowledge like hey she's like half Korean I was like whoa like that was I I remember picking up on that as a kid and I think that like 
being older now and understanding how the world works and why these things are or were the way they were, it's so telling to me how much that meant to me. (laughs) Just for them to like, it was just always like this elephant in the room that no one really wanted to talk about. But I was like, hello, (laughs) like, it's there, I can see it (laughs) with my eyes. Um, But no one's saying anything about it. So like, maybe it shouldn't be bothering me, but it did. And yeah, I think it's really, it's really hard. But so yeah, that was a huge deal for me to see them just acknowledge even that she was half Korean because again there were, I mean there still aren't <laughs> like look at that list I just tried to make that was pathetic <laughs> but yeah like it you, I think it's really harmful when um when you don't see people who look like you on screen it can be very like psychologically damaging in a lot of ways especially when you look at how much of an influence the media has in your life like in general and I think that's kind of you can't really escape that living in the generation that we do. But yeah, I don't know, like, what was your experience like in terms of being a kid and watching movies or... Yeah, for sure. I think there wasn't ever a male Asian lead in anything that I could ever remember. I know for me, like, a huge moment in my life where, because I grew up in Richmond Hill, and back then it was mainly Italian people living in Richmond Hill, So my public school only had like three Asian families total. And yeah, so I didn't see too many people that look like me other than on Sundays when I go to a Korean church. But the rest of my life has been just surrounded by white people. And on TV, all you see is people who don't look like me or talk about anything that I've really experienced through life. So there never was characters that I felt like I could be. And then in grade In grade six, I believe, I remember watching Rumble in the Bronx. So that was Jackie Chan's first movie that people got to watch in the States and in Canada. And I remember watching it in my apartment on VHS. I hope everyone knows what that is. (laughs) But yes, I remember watching that alone. And I used to be, and I was just so amazed, like, to see a person that looks like me be the lead in the movie. I remember watching an interview with him, with Jackie Chan. And he's talking about how he doesn't do any swearing and he does all his own stunts because he wants to be a good role model to people. And then I just decided at that point, I'm going to be a stuntman. (laughs) So for a good portion of my life after that, it was pretty much set where I was going to be a stuntman. I needed to be this because I was so amazed to see someone that looked like me in such a cool position where... He was looked up to where, like, I wanted little kids to feel like I was their hero, too. So for a long time, that's what I knew I wanted to be. And that I wanted to be in a position where little kids could look up to me and say, you know, that's, you know, someone cool, someone I want to <laughs> be like. So that's where I think that started my career path choice in life is starting to be want to be a stuntman, which then after 9-11... Everyone fell in love with firefighters, so I wanted to be a fireman. <laughs> and then when I realized in college that firefighting and fire protection has a lot of math and sciences, I realized I wasn't cut out for it. So I jumped into social service work. But, you know, that sort of path started with me believing I could be something because of seeing something I saw on TV yeah. that I related with. Yeah. Fun fact, by the way, Maggie Q who, those of you who don't know, she, so she started her career, I believe, in um, Hong Kong doing, like, Asian films, but then she has recently, like, gained popularity in, like, Western cinema. She did Nikita on the CW, and um, she was in the Divergent films as well. She trained under Jackie Chan, I believe. Ooh. I believe that he um, he taught her, because she does a lot of her own stunts, I know, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think also, like, speaking... Hold on, another fun fact. <laughs> okay. Jackie Chan's, like, martial teacher when he was, like, growing up actually moved to Toronto and has a place in Toronto. And another fun fact, Jackie <laughs> Chan was in a Bruce Lee movie a long time ago as an extra. Do I have any other ones? I have tons of other ones, but <laughs> we won't get into it. I think, actually, Maggie Q, she, I think she's deaf in one year. She, like, blew her eardrum or whatever, and I think that might have been, like, doing, like, an accident, like, on... While she was doing, like, a stunt 
like with Jack Chan or something. I'm not. A, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> so I do know she's. she if you said on the podcast. It's I know. True. It's forever a fact. Yeah. Yeah. So again, growing up not seeing male Asian leads, so it's okay in Hollywood to have a movie that takes place in an Asian country like Japan or China, but you always have to have a male lead. And we've seen it over and over again in movies like The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. If you ever seen that last scene, I think we give some spoilers now that that movie is like ancient. <laughs> There's a last scene where he's like riding a horse through this like war zone and everyone around him is dying, but yet he's not getting shot <laughs> and he's just riding through. He's just like invincible. <laughs> yeah, and he like becomes a big hero, right? Of course. <laughs> and, you know, he's the white savior. So we have that. Yeah. And then we go into other movies like, and probably my opinion, the greatest movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. No, do not say Tokyo Drift. Yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> first of all, first of all, it has the best soundtrack of all the Fast and okay, Furious movies. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll probably dub it in like right now as I'm talking about all it. Alright, alright. So in post, you'll hear it. We'll argue about this later. <laughs> so, you know, like that's a almost all Asian cast as, as a except for three people who probably have the most speaking parts in it isn't but everyone else is Asian but you know you see a guy from the States a white guy come into Japan and challenge you know this guy who knows how to drift like super well and he, he learns like in a week how to do it and he beats him with an American car that's not really built for drifting so <laughs> You can't tell me the message is not, like, deliberate at that point when, you know, it's, like, pro-America, pro-patriotism sure. and all that kind of stuff with messaging like that and how are you supposed to feel. I'm sure being, you know, a young little white kid, it probably feels really great to see a guy that looks like you beat all these Asians in this race. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what it comes down to is that it's not even that it feels great. It's just it's that expectation and norm at this point so that whenever something foreign or different comes into the picture, it feels like you really feel that, whoa, this is weird, this is strange. And I think that's why it's so hard to integrate because it's such a subtle thing. Like we don't even realize the formulas that go into a lot of movies or just like the basic, like, you know, even outside of race, just like, oh, this happens and that happens. Or just, <laughs> like, you just, I don't know. I, I think subconsciously there's so much ingrained in us that we're not aware of so we take those things for granted as being the norm so when something else comes along that's even slightly different from that it's super easy to challenge that because you're like whoa this is super like weird like it feels abnormal um so when something just instinctually feels abnormal it's so much easier to reject and feel justified in in that kind of rejection because it feels so like innate so to speak but I think in terms of like what you're saying yeah for sure like it for you it was like Jackie Chan right um and having that and the difference that made but like for me like when I was younger honestly all I wanted to do was be an actor <laughs> like that was like such a huge thing for me like that was what I dreamed of as a kid but I think that never went very far I mean I'm not gonna sit here and say that's the only reason I think there are a lot of things that obviously play into that but I think a huge thing was just feeling like that was never even a possibility from the beginning oh yeah for sure <laughs> you know it was just like yeah have fun with that yeah. <laughs> like it just it wasn't even it really I didn't looking back on when I was a kid it was fun to dream about and that was all I ever wanted but that's exactly what it was. Like, it was just a dream. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it could never manifest into reality. Not even when I was, like, six or seven years old and you're thinking, like, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be, like, whatever. And and playing make-believe or whatever else. It, it Just even then, it just felt like that wasn't even an option because, like, I just didn't see it. And mm -hmm. I think when you don't see things as a kid, I think you learn by seeing things as a kid. And you're like, okay, this is possible. This is possible because I've seen it, right? Um, yeah. But when you don't see it, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, like, I remember, like, I, too, wanted to act. I wanted to be on big screen. I wanted to yeah. do stuff like that. But 
you know, I would have never dreamed of, you know, trying out for the high school play because who's ever seen an Asian lead in the high school play? No. I, I haven't. So, you know, that didn't even cross my mind to even apply or try out for something like that. And I think it also affects your confidence because mm-hmm. you sense that reaction of people, even anticipating it, mm-hmm. right? And that can do a lot to hinder your, like, confidence or even just, like, your ability to, to try those things or, or to not feel afraid to do those things. And I think that's quite sad to, like, especially when you're a kid, to have something like that taken away from you. I remember when I was younger, I mean, I still am, (laughs) I was obsessed with the Lord of the Rings movies, and all I wanted to do, like, was in my dream world, I'd be like, I'd get to be in a Lord of the Rings movie. Um, (laughs) I'd get to be an elf or something. (laughs) But but even then, and I, I, I didn't actually understand, but I think I did at the same time, like... I just remember so distinctly recalling going to bed at night after having like just binge watched it all day, being like wanting it so bad. Like, you know, when you're so hyped and you're in that zone from watching a movie you really love. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I would give anything to be in the, like in one of these movies, but that that's not even a possibility. And then it wasn't until years later that I stumbled upon this this woman online and she was kind of like, she wrote this small article about how she auditioned for a role as a background hobbit on Lord of the Rings and she was told that she was too brown to be a hobbit and and um and I remember so distinctly like reading this article and her saying like in a world where you know elves and dwarves and like orcs and all these you know otherworldly like creatures existed being too brown was the most absurd thing of all and I think that just really hit home with me because it it was literally everything it just immediately took me back to that moment when I was a kid and I was like it all makes sense now (laughs) like even then I subconsciously knew because I think you definitely pick up on those things as a kid whether you understand on an intellectual level at that point why it is the way it is you understand that that is the reality at the end of the day Mm -hmm. I think is what it comes down to yeah, well, yeah, I don't think there are anything but white people in Middle Earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so even when Asian actresses get lead parts, even not the leadiest, leadiest? Not even, <laughs> like, the, you know, top lead part, but like yeah. even, like, an important part in the film, mm-hmm. they get harassed. If you remember from Star Wars The Last Jedi, there is an actress by the name of Kelly Marie Tran, did you watch The Last Jedi? No. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well, in Star Wars... <laughs> You'll have to take the lead on this one. <laughs> Star Wars The Last Jedi, there's an actor which had his own struggles when he was casted because he was a black clone. So Finn, he's an, he becomes this important part in the movie, and people now love him as a right. character. But So the second movie that he's in, what turns out to be his love interest, we find out at the very end of the movie was this um, Asian-American actress named Kelly Marie Tran. And she was so harassed on social media that she got rid of all her social media because everyone harassed her because they didn't like her being the love interest of Finn. So it got to the point where she had to erase everything. And, you know, that that has a lot of different components to it. It, I think it has partly the fact that she's a woman. A lot of men feel like they could harass her on the internet. But I think a lot of it also goes to the idea that he's such an important character. He can't be with someone that looks like that. Right. Right. Like, they felt like maybe she wasn't good enough. Yeah. Like, she, you know, even in what we, or in media, generally depicts as beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't necessarily have all those qualities. Like, she's not, like you know, super tall, super skinny actress, so... For sure. I think there's definitely... I mean, I think it's just very much... It's much more emphasized in Hollywood, for sure, as a lot of things are, but I think there's definitely, like, a Eurocentric, you know, standard of beauty that everyone is kind of subjected to, and that definitely plays a role in casting, for sure, when you think about... Hollywood and in many ways 
the superficial nature of that and how that plays into it in terms of like needing a good looking lead or whatever it might be like right like even just talking about crazy rich Asians right Mm -hmm. and and Nick Young the fact that they casted someone who a, a mixed actor in that role I think that I'm not I'm not criticizing his performance or anything like that and I'm not saying that that should take anything away from it but I think that speaks volumes towards you know here we have an all Asian cast for the first time in 25 years and I don't think it's a coincidence that the lead actor in it is not fully Asian and you know you could blame it on a lot of things you can blame it on a lack of young male yeah, Asian actors. Yeah, so we paved that road for, create that space for young male and female, or just Asian actors in general. It's still taking away those opportunities and to really claim that space because it's kind of like, oh yeah, we're doing this, <laughs> this movie, it's like all Asian, whatever, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I think we need to... We, I, I still support this movie. I still think it's a great movie. I think it's great that we even have a movie like this because I think that's so necessary. And there's only so much pressure you can put on one movie. I think the point, and not just with this movie, any movie, when it comes to representation, right? I think until we have that variety, until we have like a hundred different versions of Crazy Rich Asians for us to pick and choose from, we can't really expect this movie to be everything and meet all those standards because A, that's just impossible and B, there are just too many stories that are, it's not going to be able to tell. Yeah, and it makes it really hard for us to criticize the movie for plot holes and things like that yeah because if we do that too much we may not get another one exactly to maybe really enjoy so we yeah. sort of have to we're put in a position where we have to support it as much as we can so we can see more like it and then maybe we could get to a point where we, we can start, start being more critical exactly for sure. right so like that for me like one of the things is like crossed my mind that you know the lead actor he isn't full asian and you know, maybe I should be grateful that I could even have that, you know, dialogue in my head that, you know, there's a lead actor that is even part Asian. I should be grateful for that. Yeah. But sometimes though, I mean, on the other hand, sometimes I really just want to be like, okay, but it's 2018, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. But no, that being said, for sure, I think, I think progress is still progress. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, like even they say in the pre- filming and when they're just pre-casting one of the producers for the film actually suggested to change the lead female role Rachel as a white woman um they suggested it obviously got shut down very quickly right but that idea of who needs to be in the forefront for these movies to sell yeah is still out there and especially it's still out there from the people who are making the movies which makes it really hard for people like you and me. If you didn't know, we're both Asian. Um, (laughs) We didn't specify that earlier. Right, we probably should have. (laughs) I'll I'll put like a pre-warning at the very beginning. It's like this podcast is hosted by uh, two Asians today. (laughs) But yeah, so like that's why we have to over-represent for this film, over-support it because... If not, we might not get another. (laughs) Yeah, like, we have two other of these stories, sequels to this movie that can be made Mm -hmm. if we support it enough. Right. And maybe the next one will be even better, although I heard the book, the second book's not as good. But that third book is supposed to be really good. (laughs) So we have to get to the third movie in order for us to really enjoy this um, thing that we have here going on. Yeah. And I think... Honestly, that just reminded me too, and I think I've told you about this, I think we've talked about this before, but it just reminds me of this, like, interview that, like, Daniel Day Kim did, and when he was asked, like, what his ideal role would be, I remember being surprised by his answer when he said he wanted to be the lead in a romantic comedy, because, you know, I mean, as, like, you hear like a lot of times in these like serious interviews I feel like especially actors who really take their craft seriously which I think that he does they want that kind of academy award winning role right you don't expect the answer to be a (laughs) rom-com and his justification for that was if 
he could play that role and if an Asian male could get a role where where basically that I think the way he put it was and again don't quote me on this <laughs> it's been a while but what kind of stuck to me from this was he was kind of speaking to the fact that a male lead in a rom-com especially in Hollywood is generally a man who all women find like like many women find attractive and many men want to be and that's kind of the pinnacle of success in a lot of ways if you can sort of be that like assume that position um that's power you know and that that's powerful in in our world today and in, especially in Hollywood so I think what he was trying to convey in that sense was we'll know we've had reached that sort of representation and kind of gain that kind of equal ground when 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 that's possible and when that happens and I think with Crazy Rich Asians, we're getting there. But yeah, I think that's also why, and maybe that can kind of shed some light into why we sort of decided to discuss the fact that Henry Gold, Henry Golding, is it, who plays Nick Young, is, is not fully Asian at the end of the day, because I don't think we've quite gotten there yet. So it's not so much a personal thing on him or anything. Um, I think he was very charming, did a great job in the movie, but at the end of the day, I think it speaks to the larger issue of the fact that why why couldn't he have been? I mean, his character was assumed to be fully Asian. Mm-hmm. We didn't see his father in it, but his grandmother was fully Asian. Yep. His mother was fully Asian. So it was kind of like, there's that kind of subtle rhetoric of, oh, this is what a good-looking Asian person should look like, but he's not fully Asian. So like, that's definitely very interesting. We did say when we were talking about us seeing the film that yeah. there were probably at least two other guys in that movie that like are handsome enough and like charming enough that probably could have, could have easily assumed been. the lead for yeah. sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and uh, but but they didn't, right? No. So yeah, of course, you know they're supporting so. actors. But um But you know what? Good good for Constance Wu at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good for her. Like, Shout out to her because <laughs> she's amazing. Funny enough, like with that Daniel Day Kim quote mm-hmm. is like when I was younger, yeah, growing up and when I couldn't really sleep at night and then instead of counting sheep I don't know, counting sheep never worked for me. No, I don't know, I don't know if it works for anyone. <laughs> I think <laughs> like it's it, just like that's such become a boring so repetitive thing. that like, like Yeah, like who would fall asleep just doing something like that? Anyways, so what I would do trying to go to sleep is I would make like a movie in my head of me starring in it. And it was <laughs> a romantic comedy. So I have like fifteen minutes of movie written out in my head of a romantic comedy starring me if there's anyone who wants to see that movie you could start some type of (laughs) online petition and i will write the rest of it (laughs) and although i probably won't be able to star in it because it's a teenage (laughs) me in it you could do like a flashback thing so you could cast someone as your younger self yeah but then you could play the present day that kid from (laughs) maze runner I, I don't know his name. I gotta look up his name. Hold on. I think I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his name either. Ki Hong Lee. So he played Minho in Maze Runner. Right, right. Yeah. He could be my younger <laughs> person. He's handsome enough to play my. You should just tweet character. him, Phil. Yeah, I should. He has Twitter. Oh, well, yeah. He'll hear this podcast eventually. <laughs> and, you know, my email will be said later, so you could just uh, hit me up. Steph. Steph. Phil. <laughs> yes? Do you know what's coming up? What? On September 13th, 2018, in Newmarket at the Riverwalk. Oh, yes. Take Back the Night. That's right. Take Back the Night is coming again, and it's going to be bigger and better, and it's the 20th anniversary of this event. So if you don't know what Take Back the Night is about, it is a protest slash mark about raising awareness for violence against women so there will be a keynote speaker there will be music there will be performances and there will be agency booths of all york region agencies that deal with women domestic and sexual abuse slash harassment so please come out it starts at 6 p.m at the river walk commons in newmarket it's uh, for any of you guys who are familiar with Newmarket. It's just it's right by Main Street. It's right behind Main Street. Also, Red Dot Project will be there with our booth. 
and you could come and say hi and yeah all of us steph me Haley, lucy will we'll all be there and you could say hi going back to like how crazy rich asians like the only one there's a good discussion that has happened over the last couple of years and it was made by a stand-up comedian named Hari Konda Bolu. He talks about how he has this love-hate relationship with the character of Who from The Simpsons because of the fact that it was like the main source of a lot of the teasing he experienced growing up. But then at the same time, it's like representation. Right. That's kind of all he had. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, when someone says, thank you, come again, you hear it in Apu's voice. So as a young Indian boy growing up, that's all he got teased about. But at the same time, it's someone that looked like him. So that's where for representation, it's so important that we see more of than just one character. Because when it's a character that doesn't, you know, isn't necessarily flattering, it could be the source of a lot of teasing and a lot of you know, self-confidence issues and things like that. For me, that one person that was representative of me growing up in my teenage years to early 20s was Bobby Lee from Mad TV. I don't know if you know him. He's this, like, short, chubby Korean guy on Mad TV, a show that... So it was a negative association. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was funny. Everyone loved him, but they just thought of him as this, like, you know, goofy little silly Asian guy that does funny things. So to the point where, like, you know, I never really saw it, but I mean, like, literally every Saturday night, Friday night at the clubs when I was 19, 20, 21, there would be a drunk white girl that would come up to me and say, are you Bobby Lee? Oh my gosh. And like, she she would get so excited that (laughs) she thought she met Bobby Lee (laughs) in the club. And, you know, that's like the first thing I heard from a lot of people growing up in my 20s is, hey, do you know Bobby Lee? You look just like him. Yeah. I never got Brad Pitt. I never got Tom Cruise. (laughs) There were days I look in the mirror after a nice haircut and I thought like, hey, I sort of look like... uh, Chris Pine, (laughs) but uh, I never got that outside of my bathroom mirror. You know, you know, and I think that that speaks to the the greater issue of, I think a lot of the times when you're talking about race-related issues, you hear, it's a very persistent rhetoric of, well, they're stereotypes because it's true. But I think the issue with stereotypes is not that that they can't be true. I think the problem is that they limit people and they they um, box people in, right? So you start to see certain minorities or certain po- populations for only being these stereotypes, and they don't have that room to assume any kind of depth beyond that. And that again is like very detrimental, right? They could ties into everything we've been talking about tonight from, you know, not feeling like you could pursue acting or whatever else it might be. And again, these things are a lot more complicated and there's a lot of flat factors that play into that. But I think that's a huge part of it too. So it's not like with you and Bobby Lee, for example, it's it's not Bobby Lee's fault, <laughs> but it's it's the fact that it that there wasn't the immediate association for you being Korean was immediately Bobby Lee. Well, being <laughs> Korean and a little short and having a little pot belly. So. All those but, things. <laughs> but I think, like, there are so many times when it doesn't even matter whether you share any kind of characteristics. It's just you're Korean. Like, you know? Well, yeah, because in my uh, late 20s... Because that's all there is to associate at yeah, that point. My late 20s, it was Psy and Gundam style. So, oh gosh! <laughs> literally, like, it, okay. So this is literally what happened. So obviously, that's like a big movie, a big music video. Everyone, you know, loved it. Whatever. Who actually knew what he was talking about? Not many. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But so yeah. So every time that song comes on, people, you know, stop and look at me and like, okay, do it. Yeah, yeah. It got to the point where I, that's so when crazy. I was working in a group home, and we had our big company wide Christmas party. So it's all the kids. And, like, I worked with um, kids with dual diagnosis and autism and, you know, other type of disabilities. And it got to the point where 
this Christmas one, you know, Gundam Style, like, just blew up, like, that summer, that song came on, everyone in the room looked at me and, like, wanted me to do the dance for them. And I was just like, no, no, I don't think I will. (laughs) I didn't do it. So, um... But first of all, the fact that they just assumed you knew it, I think is... Well, okay. I did know it. And I could do it quite well. But... I'm not That's doing not the point. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But I, I, yeah, I think all in all, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians for me, in terms of all those things, it was a very unique experience for me to watch it for many reasons. The first being that I was born in Singapore. I'm Singaporean. So that was kind of cool because I don't think I've ever watched a movie that that had Singapore in it in that way so that was that was super nostalgic for me in a lot of ways and and the fact that they I was really actually quite impressed by how many details they got (laughs) that that they did quite well in terms of you know all the food they portrayed or even I expected especially considering the movies called Crazy Rich Asians Mm -hmm. for them to like go to this like fancy restaurant as soon as but they that they went local (laughs) they went to like they hit up the hawker centers they they got like all the good food so that was pretty cool and then even a lot of like the uh singaporean slang that they got in there was pretty uh pretty funny too i think it is a little funny that like henry golding was before this movie what did he do he was doing like a travel oh he he did um he was a presenter uh for BBC Travel and the Discovery yeah. Channel or something like that. But he's Malaysian. Was, was that? Yeah, he's half Malaysian he's half and Malaysian, British. half Malaysian, right? But so I think he was like... It's funny because, like, for me, movies. like, the first, like, half hour of that movie, it felt like a travel show, yeah. documentary, right? <laughs> it's so true, yeah. introducing you to Singapore and all this different stuff. I so feel like he'd like... be, like, a great travel blogger. <laughs> <laughs> but no, for sure. Um... But I think it was, like, kind of, like, I'm not sure if this was your experience as well, Phil, but it was kind of, like, an emotional, it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster watching that movie in many ways. It was, oh my gosh, this is exciting. Whoa, is this what it feels like to, like, see me on screen? (laughs) But then it was also, like, moments of, like, a bit of cringe, to be honest, because I think as much as, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that, and by a lot of people, I mean people who aren't minorities or or don't have that kind of experience with oppression in that way. I think you almost kind of feel that internalized oppression in some ways because at moments too, you are feeling that discomfort as well because you are realizing how abnormal Mm -hmm. it is to see this. Um, So it's, it, it was it was definitely a weird mix of emotions. It was a lot of excitement. It was a lot of like, oh my god, this is super relatable for many reasons. And then it was also just, for me though, it was also like, okay, but yet I'm still searching for like that one character that I really, really identify with. But I, again, I think that speaks to what we were saying earlier. This is just this just doesn't happen to be that movie for me, but it could very well be for, for many Crazy rich Asians out there. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only way I'll ever find that movie is if we keep making more of them. So I think that's what's important. And to just remember that this movie can't be that movie for everyone. Because no movie can be. And, and you know, it's the first of its kind. So we kind of have to kind of give credit where credit's due in that sense. Like, it, this is a huge deal for us in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think, for me... I was really mentally preparing myself for this because when I heard they're making this movie and then I heard of the casting and I was getting really excited about it yeah. and then I had to wait for it to actually be filmed and made, <laughs> I had a lot of time to think about it. And also, like, I talk about this topic in class in my diversity when I was teaching diversity. So I talk about, you know, the underrepresentation of Asians or people of color in film and then when they do do it and how Hollywood does it wrong. So I talk a lot about that in one of my classes semester. So I sort of got ready for it. So going into the movie, I kept on telling myself, feel like you felt when you watched 27 Dresses with Katherine Heigl. <laughs> and 
watch that movie like that like don't try to make this into this like life-changing feeling that i'm supposed to feel this euphoric for sure you know release of you know joy because i saw a movie that had so many people that look like me in it and it took probably a third of the movie for me to really be able to do that i had to keep on telling myself over and over again you know don't make this bigger than it needs to be just watch it like a movie like you watch any other movie And I think it's hard to kind of like rein in that expectation when you're so pumped for something because, because you've never seen anything like it before. Um, So you do, it is a really conscious thing of like telling yourself, hold on, why should this movie be held to any higher sort of standard than any other movie? If anything, it should be held to a lower standard in some ways because it's the first of its kind. So there hasn't been that room for trial and error and growth and this worked and that didn't. And, and this is how we can improve and move forward. It's, it's so, yeah, but it's definitely hard when you, when you get so excited to see something like that, the important, the hard and tricky part is not letting that take away from, from your experience of watching it. Right. It is just a, it's a romantic comedy at the end of the day. And, and that's, that's what it is. Yeah. And I was extremely lucky, I think, before this movie came out. There just happened to be a a CBC show called Kim's Convenience, which is super relatable for me because it has a lot of my experience of growing up in a convenience store family and all that kind of stuff. So I had that already. So I don't need to walk away from Crazy Rich Asian trying to see a movie that I identify with because I have a whole TV show that's pretty successful right now that I totally relate to 100%. Not 100%, but, like, you know, most of it I totally do. So, like, to a point where, you know, on Twitter, they have a fan club called Kimbits, and I think I could very well be the leader of it if I really (laughs) wanted to be. You know, I... I, could. On Twitter, like, I've sent already, like... no joke. (laughs) Three, like, plots of episodes that they have to do, and, you know, half the cast already liked them, so I know it's going to come out next in season four, I'm pretty sure, because they already filmed season three. But in season four, there's going to be episodes that I inspired. For this. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. When they do a Halloween episode and when they do a New Year's episode, I guarantee you those are my ideas. You can check my Twitter. I'll, I'll, when it comes out, I'll let you know, and I will show you the screenshot of my tweet to them and everyone who liked it. And if I don't get writing credit, then you'll hear about it here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I guess, like, all in all, we're at a point where Crazy Rich Asians is really, like, inspiring that dialogue and keeping that ball rolling and that momentum growing. And, and hopefully people start paying more attention. Um, I think we already are but I also think that this conversation applies not it just goes beyond race even I think it that matters for everything I think that matters for representation period whether that be for like the LGBTQ community or um for um individuals with disabilities I think I think until we allow them to like have like to be able to like occupy these spaces and like have those roles we're not really going to be able to have this conversation because we're not gonna there's not gonna be anything to compare it to for sure and I think for people like Bobby Lee and even like Ken Jeong he's in Crazy Rich Asian but when he played that role in The Hangover that's a little embarrassing to say you relate to that guy but then now that he's done other movies and he has other things, like even Bobby Lee, like now I appreciate that he was like a pioneer right. in comedy for Asians and also being Korean. Like that's another thing too. So I'm sort of like proud of him. For sure. But throughout my growing up, it like was, I had yeah. to pretend I'm not and not appreciate because I was just always told to do his act. I think you also gain an appreciation when you look back and you think, Because I think when you're younger, all you're thinking about is, oh, this is what I'm being associated with or or this is how it makes me feel and those aren't pleasant feelings. So I kind of want to distance myself from that, which are totally valid things, especially when you're a kid, because let's be honest, that's all we really think about as kids, right? Um, But I think the point is that you look back and 
and especially when you develop a greater understanding of these things, you realize you just grow a bigger respect for these people because you're like, wow, that was the way they had to carve their space because that was the only space they could occupy. And you kind of like hats off to them for doing it because Mm -hmm. that's not easy either. But sometimes you do have to assume that space if it's the only space you're given. And that's the only if you're that if that's your only foot through the door, then then you take it because you're you're carving that path for those to come behind uh, after you. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think like we are going actually quite over time, so I'm going to try to say this one a little bit quickly. But um, with Margaret Cho, she's a stand-up comedian that's been around for years and years and years. She had a TV show called All-American Girl, and it's about her being a young Korean teen in America and her Korean family, which didn't have any other ones, anyone that's Korean except for her, but whatever we all Asians look alike anyway so it's not a big deal we're all interchangeable <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like so the problem with that show was is that she wanted to really talk about issues that um, Asian American families have growing up in America but the producers wanted it to just be funny so it only lasted one season because she had walked away from the show because her story wasn't being told it was the white lens of what Asians are supposed to be Right. And how funny it is to be in these circumstances because you're growing up in a country that's foreign to you. So, yeah, the show was canceled. And when the show that Constant Wu is on now, Fresh Off the Boat, they actually have the same issue because that was written off of a memoir wrote, written by Eddie Huang, which has a TV show on Vice, and he's this like foodie guy on TV. But it's about his life growing up in Orlando. And the Asian American experience of his dad trying to be an entrepreneur and open this like steak restaurant, but the show again in season two really wanted to move away from the drama and stick with the comedy. So he actually left the show too, but the show still carries on. And now they start to talk a lot about the other stuff too. But then he also had to leave because they just didn't tell his story. And so we see it over and over again. So hopefully we are getting to a point where our stories are told the way that we want to tell them. Yeah, and I think that's important. And I and quick note before we wrap up, <laughs> think important thing that I want to say, and I don't know if I did, is that this extends beyond actors, right? So we need mm-hmm. to see people of color and being integrated in like all areas of that artistic process whether Mm -hmm. that be directing or writing because I I think until you have that you're not going to really get that full representation on screen even if you do have Asian actors in that because it will be written through a white lens or so on and so forth so I think that's incredibly important as well so quick rating on Crazy Rich Asians out of five stars out of five stars I'll give it a 4.5. Ooh, okay. Is that, what, is that higher than you thought? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I couldn't gauge that reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, okay, I will give it a four star, I think. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so I know a lot of people are giving it, like, rave, rave reviews, and I do, I want to see it again. I'm going to see it again in theaters, if not this week, next week, whenever I find time. I want to watch at least one or two more times in theaters, like, I I put it up against 27 Dresses and I think in like other romantic comedies in that kind of genre and area. And, you know, I they just are at that level, I think. So this not, wasn't like blown away. Like it wasn't like my favorite romantic comedy ever. Yeah. So that's why I would give it a four, a solid four. And I think it gets a little bit of a bump because of some of the significance of the movie other than... For sure. The actual movie itself. And I think also just the fact they had so many different characters, I mm-hmm. think, was a huge thing. Like, yeah, it wasn't my favorite rom-com ever, but definitely the significance of it and just the diverse range and, like, characters that they, they really did try to mm-hmm. fit as many, like, different Asian roles in there as possible to really send that message home of, you know, you can... The visuals the alone in the I movie am. is, like, beautiful. So, oh, like, yeah. that alone, like, that wedding scene oh where they're at a <laughs> yeah like the, in wedding. the garden garden yeah. Bay, yeah yeah so that wedding scene is like amazing like, yeah 
breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if I would want my wedding to be like that, but seeing it is like amazing. And like I I really do appreciate the relationships between like the Nick and his mom and then his mom Nick's mom and Rachel, like those dynamics. Or even the grandmother, oh, and, the grandmother. and Nick's mom. Yeah. Yeah. All those dynamics sure. to see them on film is really mm-hmm. cool because those happen. Yeah. Yeah, those are real things that occur. And I think there are also things that occur beyond all cultures, mm-hmm. uh, like across all cultures. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially cultures that have like this, like, will have a matriarch, which usually is the grandmother. Right. That sort of runs the family. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to stuff in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess. Do you have a period pun? <laughs> <laughs> Why did the tampon walk across the road? Why? I don't have an answer. So. Uh, <laughs> next time. Stay next tuned. Time. Please. Yeah. <laughs> well, the music is playing right now. You hear it? Yeah. Okay. There it is. <laughs> that means we have to wrap it up. So thank you for listening to another episode of Red Dot Project. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, then please subscribe to us on your podcast app. Also rate us and leave a comment. If you want to leave any type of encouragement or ideas of new episodes or period puns, then please email us at podcast at red.project.org. So thank you again for listening. Thanks, guys. Hope you listen to us again soon. (laughs) 